Hello and welcome back to the Guns on Pegs podcast. My name is George Brown and I'm the editor here at Guns on Pegs. I find it hard to believe, but somehow this is episode seven of series two. The weeks just fly by when you can't go anywhere or do anything. Uh, I'm joined again by Chris Horn, Managing Director of Guns on Pegs. Chris, can you believe how quickly this series has gone? It's rattling through, isn't it? It really is. Uh, we've only got a few episodes left, which is sort of slightly sad. This this series is going very quickly, but uh, we've been um, we've been doing that dangerous thing again, George, of a little planning, haven't we? We spent half an hour on the phone planning, uh, and usually that spells danger for future episodes. So uh, I think we've got some exciting <laughs> things lined up. But we've got a pretty cool episode lined up again today. So who's our guest today, Chris? This is the gun dog episode. Uh, so today's guest is uh, he's, he's a gun dog trainer of the year, a double British Freel Tile Championship winner in the Cocker Spaniel class, gun dog trainer to the stars. Going to ask you about that in a second. Uh, field editor of Gun Dog Journal and owner of Beggar Bush Gun Dogs. A very warm welcome to Ben Randall. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. It's great to have you with us. Ben, um, gun dog trainer to the stars. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? But basically, I was in- introduced um, through a friend to two celebrities that had cockers. Uh, they both had brother and sisters. Um, one was David Beckham with Olive, and one was Gordon Ramsay with Bruno. Um, I had them both from eight weeks, and we taught them our BG foundations. And it went from there, really. And we've I've had um, David's and the Beckham's back a couple of times, and I've had the Ramsay's back lots. Um, and Bruno has become almost like part of our family. He comes straight in the house, straight in on, into the lounge, onto the sofa, like one of the lads. Um, while she was growing up in the summer months, the boys been in the paddling pool with him. He just became like just one of us. Um, so, yeah, that's been fantastic. And that's obviously opened many doors uh, throughout the country um, and throughout the world, really, by having those type of clients on our lists. So, yeah, it's been really good. Very humbling. That's amazing. Does Gordon Ramsay talk to his dog in the same way that he does to his staff? Definitely not, no. no. <laughs> so, Ben, uh, our our favourite bit of the podcast, um, the what's that you're drinking? What have you got for us? Well, a lot of people know I'm a gin man, and I do like my gin, and we've got some fantastic local gins in Herefordshire. Two gins I love in Herefordshire are um, Chase Gin, and they're good clients of mine, and also Gundog Gin which is obviously pretty apt for me as a gundog owner. But Absolutely. The one I'm drinking today, which is um, quite a special one for us here, is called BG Cocking Leg. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, it's, it's called after our gundog name, picture of a dog on there cocking his leg, peeing. That's awesome. Who made that for you? So, so it's made, I was coaching one of, the, one of the boys at college. I coached him and um, his parent, uh, parents actually own a cider farm. And they, they are self-sustaining, single-estate craft cider producer in Herefordshire. So it's picked on their family farm. I went and selected the apples. Um, I tasted, which we enjoyed. Me and the boys went down and had the tasting evenings. Um, and we chose a cider that suited us. And we went back to my old roots from Somerset, where we were only allowed half a cider. He would, he would The pub would never allow us teenagers to have any more than half because it was so strong. <laughs> so we had, to have, uh, we had to have lemon with it. And half a pint. So with this cocking leg, it's fantastic with some lemon in the neck, especially in the summer. So my boys always have it with a dash of lemon in the neck and drink through the neck. Or the ladies have it with a dash of lemon with some ice in a glass. So it's a it's a local Herefordshire. I can literally see the orchard from the house. Um, it just makes it, I don't know, a little bit more special than just buying some of the down the supermarket. That's awesome. I didn't... I. I didn't quite realise. I thought you were saying it was a gin and tonic at first, but it's a cider. So it's a local cider. Awesome. We've got uh, cider making history on this podcast, haven't we? Because in one of the very early episodes, we talked about uh, our colleague Digby's uh, cider making exploits from university. Um, and he's, he's now, I don't know if I can tell anybody this, so we might need to cut it. But he started making Calvados, which sounds uh, very dangerous. He's not, he's not blind yet, but he might be. <laughs> But this this isn't dangerous. I've had this done especially at um four and a half percent. So it's not like we used to drink in Somerset as teenagers and you sat down in the bar and you needed to go to the toilet, but you couldn't actually go. <laughs> you needed to go. 
so you just went. So it's not quite that sort of cider. Well, that's exactly what the what that what's that you're drinking part of the pod is about. It's about getting some decent stories out, and uh, and that's a that's a cracker. So well, there's been a few occasions where we've not been able to move. <laughs> After six seven halves, you just seem to, I don't know, you just you're finished. You can't move. You're numb. Your brain is still working, but your legs and arms are non-existent. That's where the term paralytic comes from, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, we're paralysed, actually. Yeah, completely. Yeah. George, go on, you go. What are you up to? What are you drinking today? So last week I had beer uh, brewed locally to where I grew up. Um, and I thought this week um, I was sort of slightly racking my brains a bit, panicking slightly. And then I remembered that there's a shop on Deptford High Street just down the road from where my flat is called Hop Burns and Black. And it's one of the most specific shops you can ever come across. It sells beer and hot sauce. Those are the pretty much the two things that it sells. So I've got a, I've got three beers with me today. They're small cans, um, but these are from the Brick Brewery. And I've got Peckham Hells to begin with. Then I've got Peckham Pills. And then after that, I've got Peckham Pale. So we'll see how many I get through. But yeah, so far, the, the Hells is very nice indeed. Chris, what have you got? I've got a beer from quite a long way from my place in Kent. Actually, couldn't be much further in terms of the UK. It's from the Swanee Brewery. Uh, in the Orkney Islands and it's called Island Hopping it's a hoppy session beer and this one actually came from the House of Brewer after I got kindly invited to join a MOTV the My Outdoor TV channel it's a a web streaming platform for it's certainly very big outside the UK it's getting bigger in the UK got invited to their media launch and they sent me a little hamper from the House of Brewer and it contained this beer and it's actually really good Uh, not been up to the Orkneys before but uh, certainly recommend it that sounds good right so Ben Uh, Now that we've all got a drink, um, it's time to move on to the next segment, which is called Whose Bird Is It Anyway? This is where we ask our listeners to send us in their shooting dilemmas and we try to decide what the right course of action is or was. Uh, This one comes from somebody we are calling Jeff to keep him anonymous. And he writes, there's no real intro to this either. He just writes, how long do you keep the joke going? The situation. (laughs) A grouse moor in the highlands of Scotland, late September. Pre-shoot briefing. Safety first. Remember your butt sticks. No shooting in front after the first horn. No black game. The second drive. I'm in butt three. A pal who's always up for a laugh in butt two. And a joker in butt one. A tremendous drive. Lots of challenging birds. Drive finishes. Beaters come through. At butt one, a beater deposits a grey hen explaining that his dog had pegged it on the way in. Quick as a flash, Butt 1 grabs the bird and proceeds to Butt 2, telling Butt 2 that the grey hen had been picked up behind Butt 2, and so the fun begins. At Elevenses, all the guns are ribbing Butt 2 about his misdemeanour, but Butt 2 is still unsure whether he really shot the grey hen. He decides to apologise to his host and says he's prepared to pay the £500 which had been invented at Elevenses. When do we own up? It's a serious fine, that isn't it? It is a serious fine, but I, I, I mean, first of all, big, big respect for the quick thinking. That's what set up this whole gag, isn't it? That's yeah. brilliant. Oh, he has no idea what he's shooting. <laughs> he just realised that he's an ass, and he just probably has done it. He's just going to own up to it. <laughs> do we think the uh, do we think this to beat this beater who who put the grey hen behind but one did it perfectly innocently or do you think he was trying to be polite? And- I reckon the beater's got one that he defrosts each week and he pulls the same <laughs> gag every week. <laughs> I ho- I hope so, but. But as you say, the guy in butt two. This is what shooting's all about. If this happens, seize the opportunity. Uh, this is. This is this is right up there, but five hundred quid. I mean, if he's actually paid that, that's a it changes the issue slightly, unless he's particularly wealthy. There's no way we can allow him to to know for at least the end of August. What next season <laughs> or potentially next season when he when he when he books his next day's shooting, he gets five hundred pound off. But you've got to let him sweat on it. He's got to explain it to his wife. Uh, that's exactly what they should do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they, they've got to turn it into another joke using the 500 quid. Get him to pay it and then use that to put it towards something seriously funny. Very good. Well, here's an opportunity. I think that uh, the host who received the 500 quid should donate it on behalf of Butt2 
to the GWCT. It's uh, it's certainly a very good idea, and one I could highly agree with. But it, <laughs> it does mean that the joke stops. So yeah. if he if he can make it a thousand through some form and then give it to the GWCT, then we're onto something. What like double or quits? <laughs> <laughs> Put him in a compromising situation and get more money out of him. <laughs> so I think what we're saying, Jeff, is um, string it out for as long as possible, and if you can, see if you can uh, double up the the fine next time round. The only issue, the only issue with this one, as versus the other dilemmas that we've had in and read out, is that a five hundred pound fine, uh, where you might think you have shot a grey hen, is quite a unique situation. I think you know, if this guy listens to this podcast episode, he's gonna he's going to be sure that this is him. So he might, we might have blown his cover straight away. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. But I mean, the fine's quite a common thing, isn't it? I mean, there's lots of shoots where, um, you know, you get fined for uh, for shooting a pigeon before the first game bird or that kind of thing. In fact, I was beating on a shoot once where um, the, the guns had decided they'd all put 20 quid in a pot and it would go to the first person to shoot a pigeon. But there was a fine of double the pot for shooting a pigeon before the first game bird on any given drive, which I thought was quite an interesting challenge. Heracon is very much like that. We have lots of crazy fines and lots of drinking. But if I remember rightly, the white bird fine on our shoot is you get fined if you shoot at it, you get fined if you hit it, you get fined if you don't shoot at it, you get fined if you miss it. Okay. Basically, you yeah. see it, you get fined. I like those pretty, ones. Pretty stuffed, yeah. So you just got to give it some. <laughs> Usually, there's one in there which means that if you shoot it, everyone else pays the fine. So you can shoot and you can miss and you pay the fine. But if you actually get it, everyone else pays it. I like those ones because it adds an yeah. element of excitement. <laughs> I mean, really? the one I'm really looking forward to back home, um, my brother runs our shoot. And uh, as I mentioned before, and he also keeps guinea fowl. And they wander quite far and wide from his farmhouse. And it's only a matter of time before we get a flock of guinea fowl coming out of one of the drives, which I'm really looking forward to because it's just going to confuse everyone. They just won't know what's coming at. So that's going to be very entertaining. They wake us up every morning and keep us awake from five o'clock, our guinea fowl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're great fun, though. Great fun. Well, look, we... Uh... We want your confessions, uh, listeners, so uh, keep sharing the tales and send us in the dilemmas, the stuff you've heard. Uh, email pod at gunsonpegs.com. Uh, just like Noel did, who has been in touch, and he said, I really enjoyed listening to your podcasts and have recently been catching up on some past episodes, including your session with David Gower when he set out his list of all-time cricketing guns. That was a, a good one. You invited us to submit a list of sporting guns, but rather than do that, I thought I'd list uh, my superstar beaters. Um, so Noel then listed a very funny lineup of beaters. Uh, but unfortunately, for reasons of diplomacy, we just simply can't broadcast the team that he sent in. <laughs> uh, so I've, I've, sorry that that's not great for our listeners, but George and I really enjoyed it. So we thought that Noel deserved the airtime. Uh, and as a result, he's going to get himself a pair of the podcast garters just for entertaining George and I in our private time. Uh, so they're on their way to you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, Ben, you're going to get a pair of these garters to wear next season as well. Um, but Chris, I've been thinking about this uh, since the last recording and all these people who've been emailing in with their stories and what have you, they're really making the podcast feel much more like a kind of community. And uh, we've both really enjoyed getting all the messages, even the ones that we can't use. Um, <laughs> so I was thinking that we kind of need to give these people like a title, an honorific. What do you think? They do. Yeah, they do, don't they? I mean, they they are our sort of, they're the loyal listeners. They're the... Are they, are they are they ambassadors? Are they ambassadors of the podcast? Yeah, I, I thought about ambassadors, but it feels a bit sort of formal and I'm not quite sure about ambassadors. So I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll open it out to the listeners. That's a good shout. And we'll put up a pair of podcast garters to any, to the person who comes up with a suggestion that we end up going with. We're looking for the title of the people that lead from the front. Yeah, like a collective noun. Okay. So, uh, yeah, drop us an email, pod at gunsonpegs.com, either with your shooting confessions, let us know where you're listening to the podcast, or if you've got an idea for a collective noun for the contributors to the podcast, and you can get your hands on some of these garters. So I think it's time to talk to Ben about gun dogs, but we're going to start with a game. Yesterday, 
in our dangerous planning episode, George and I started having a bit of a laugh. <laughs> and we've come up with a quick game of Pointless. Uh, and for those of you that don't know what Pointless is, it's a, a TV game show where people give obscure answers to questions that no one else gave. And you're, you're sort of credited for getting the answer that no one else gave. Yeah. So we carry out the game shooting census every year. And in that, we asked three and a half thousand game shots who own dogs, which breeds they own. And we are looking for a pointless answer, Ben. <laughs> a breed that none of our 3,500 respondents said they own. And Chris, Chris has got the data. Shih Tzu. You reckon a Shih Tzu? You're gonna have. To, yeah. You're gonna have to try harder than that. Yeah, a Shih Tzu. Uh, of the three and a half thousand people, four of them owned Shih Tzus. George, <laughs> your, your um, turn. I, I am going for a uh, Great Dane. Great Dane. Uh, a Great Dane. Two people out of three and a half thousand. Oh, I can't <laughs> believe it. <laughs> Something obscure, Ben. Um, bull Mastiff, surely. Bull Terrier, Bull Terrier, French Bulldog. There is no Bull Mastiff. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he wins. He wins. Actually, you've had two goes. So, George, you get. I, there, I tell you what, there is a Caucasian Shepherds and Mastiff. Whatever one of those is. That sounds like a crossbreed. We're not letting them. That, that, okay. That's cheating. George, you can tie this game by getting a pointless answer now. Okay, a uh, a Slovakian pointer. No, I've got loads of those. You've got loads of those. <laughs> <laughs> George, you lose. Someone has a Slovakian rough-haired pointer. <laughs> oh, I really thought that would be pointless. <laughs> I'm afraid not. Ben, another question for you, seeing as we're on this game. Uh, there's a bit out of the same game shooting census uh obviously we asked about the popular breeds um so which breed do you think is more popular labrador or spaniel i think um i think labrador is probably more popular because they're easier i would say the popularity of cockers is growing hugely interesting um but and i think that all stemmed from maybe the royals the Beckhams, Ramses, celebrities, they are notoriously hard to train um, compared with a Labrador. I normally train two, three cockers to a Labrador. <laughs> I think that Labradors are higher on the list at the moment as most popular breeds, but I do think cockers are catching quickly. So would you believe this, right? Three and a half thousand people, as we said. 1,534 people had a Labrador. 1,522 had a Spaniel. <laughs> it's almost the same. It's both 43%, but there were 12 more Labradors out of the 3,500 there were Spaniels. So That's not Cockers, that's like the two breeds combined, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. We've, we've, we've combined the two breeds, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But then we had a debate about whether you can compare a big old chocolate lab and a little slender <laughs> black lab. <laughs> not really. <laughs> It's like having a, a pop and a winger, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A third-team prop or a first-team winger, there's no comparison. <laughs> right, so I, I think that's enough silliness for now. I mean, the whole podcast is silly, but let's get on to, to picking Ben's brains a bit. Um, lots of people have got new dogs this year. Pandemic pups, I think, is the term. So there's going to be loads of people who are going to be starting out on their training journey in the coming months, I'd have thought. So what are the key kind of things to keep in mind, the key overarching principles, so to speak, for these people who are starting out? Yeah, I think the training journey is, is already begun because they've bought the dog. I think now the most important thing for me as a trainer and also seeing potential of 50, 60 dogs a day throughout, throughout my week is that people need to find the right trainer. And this is so important. They don't need to be just find the local trainer. They need to invest in the next 10, 12, 15 years of this dog's life and their life. So for me, finding a trainer that techniques are proven and that trainer can prove it with his own dogs and that trainer can prove that his methods will work with your dog at the level you want it to work at. Um, I have many people come to me with dogs that, that they've, they've not put the foundations in correctly. So it's so important at this age to get the fundamentals and foundations set 
so you can enjoy your dog as a family. So it's a it's a real prerequisite almost then you're you're saying to before buying a dog, just think the next stage, go and find the right trainer almost first in a way. Oh exactly, yeah. And I think our online through lockdown we have been inundated. I'm teaching five days a week, could be seven, but I'm teaching five days a week nearly every hour from first thing to dark all over the world. So people are really investing in what they see on Instagram, what they see on videos, and they see in that you you can do this. And lots of trainers like myself all across the UK, all over the world are really busy online teaching. Um, so yeah, I think you need to, don't worry if you're not close to somebody, you can still do online training with them. You can still, you know, follow their, follow their links, et cetera, to, um, to get the best you can out of your dog at, at such an early stage. Ben, you mentioned the foundations. What are those sort of key foundation points, the sort of absolute basics that people need to focus on at the very beginning? Yeah, well, we, we created our Begabush Foundations. And for me, the foundations are, are getting that dog introduced to the family environment, getting all the house training sorted, getting the patient's training sorted, getting the socialization done correctly, and getting the manners and patience, to me, is the key. And training those, and but all positive reward-based training um, that's how I train everything's positive everything's rewarding and the relationship and bond then builds at such an early age um, just got to go very careful you don't you don't miss those first six eight months and now your dog's jumping up barking chases other dogs can't get it back 90 percent of the time then you come to me and I say well you've almost missed the boat mm. and then it's the really really hard they think no no i was told to let it be a puppy everyone told me to let it be a puppy well you've now missed the boat the dog wants those other dogs so much it wants the sheep it wants the pheasants it wants to chase you've got nothing to offer it so when do you start when when is it crucial i mean it sounds like right at the start but there must be a point where you think right you've got to start now how many weeks are we talking for me start before you buy the puppy so you've got it all planned you everything's in place the puppy arrives Within two or three days, you've got your first lesson online and you're going, you're going right through the foundations from day one. So you start with the, the house training, um, you know, getting the dog to sleep in a crate or wh- whatever your plans are in the house. You get the whole family to buy into it. You all decide on the commands you're going to use as a family and the whole family decide these are the commands we're going to use. This is how we're going to do it. That's fascinating. That's really you interesting. To- yeah. You told me... Um- when we, were, we had a catch up on the phone the other day and uh, you said something really interesting uh, about the issue of lots of people working from home the whole time and what that's done to a dog and the use of a crate. Can you just echo that, what you said to me again? The amount of prank calls I've had on online lessons where they're saying they're going back to work when lockdown eased slightly and lots of people going back to work and their dogs were were very anxious they were crying they were barking they were scratching chewing things when they got home and they asked me why this was so they they talked me through the routines they were doing with their dog and they were having their dog with them 24 7. it was sleeping in the bedrooms it was with them in the car it was going every walk to them it was literally with them 24 7. so for me that's way too much exercise for that puppy for a start it's way too the puppy's exhausted i want that puppy now to go into his crate with his chew with a bit of water chill out your time away from us now i'm gonna make a phone call i've got two meetings on zoom whatever i'm doing i'm working from home i want you now to have some time out and your crate's gonna be positioned somewhere in the house where you can be quiet calm and cozy and get on with your bit you want to do whilst i do mine makes a massive difference yeah i I heard i heard a friend saying the other day that their dog had just become super needy as a result of lockdown and almost sort of taking it back a, a stage completely so yeah understand it yeah so then ben i've got a question maybe more about people who kind of you know the 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 dogs out in the field now picking up what are the biggest mistakes that you see as it were amateurs making with their dogs when they're out on a shoot day well if we look at maybe look at a peg dog because that's normally beating dogs don't make as many mistakes because they're beating them on the lead or they're hunting or they're tapping up the end of the flush point but picking up i see probably the most when they're on a peg with a dog they take a corkscrew with them. They screw the corkscrew in. They put the dog to it. They're shooting and having banter with the rest of the guys. The dog's whining and pulling, and they're telling it to shut up and shut up and shut up through the whole drive. They're shooting birds. Birds are flapping on the floor all around them. Uh, birds landing in full view of the dog. Dog's squeaking and whining. 
They then try to get the dog off of the corkscrew, but the dog's pulling so hard they can't. Then they got to pull the dog by its tail, pull him back, take some tension off the corkscrew. Then they manage to get the lead off somehow, and they manage to grab the dog, and the lead eventually comes off the dog. And it's like slipping a lurcher off after a hair. <laughs> but one runs out, picks the first pheasant, runs back, drops it, picks the next one. And the guy comes up to me in the in the in the gun bus at Levinson and says, oh, just can't get this dog steady, Ben. You know? And I said, I said look, are you you are you taking the piss? You know, you stood there the whole drive, you've whined, screamed, you've let it off the lead and give it its reward. It's like walking around a toy shop with a child screaming, I want, I want, I want. You consistently say around that shop, you're not having, you're not having. You get the check out and you give it to her. Yeah, it's or so true. Yeah, the only reason you need a corkscrew is for a bottle of wine. <laughs> <laughs> so hold on then, because it's a difficult situation. Because like, let's say, so you've got a dog and it's ready to go on the peg. What do you do in that scenario then? As quick as you can, put it in the car. Really? And enjoy the rest of your day shooting and realise that you've had the wrong training or you've taken shortcuts and you have not got a dog capable of being there on that day and enjoying it. So you just put the dog away. So is it that point the dog's it's gone too far? Yeah, if a dog was on a peg while you were shooting and had to be tethered for a start, it's not ready to be there. If it's making a noise and a squeak, it's not ready to be there. So that dog will get progressively worse and worse and worse until the point where you do not want to take it and you will probably be asked not to take it. Gosh. Yeah. Strong. That quick. Strong words. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just true. It's the truth. So we've we've been chatting a bit recently because you've you've got something quite exciting in the pipeline and actually i was thinking a second ago as you were talking about doing all your bits on zoom uh i think that's lent itself to what you've got coming hasn't it Do, can you can you tell us about this exciting announcement we've been building a, a project which has been um it's come from all my online stuff and it, i've been teaching all over the world you know as far as new zealand australia all over america trying to teach the BG Foundation in a positive, rewarding way, and that still it's still you can achieve at the highest level, at championship level, or you can achieve you know, this perfect family companion shooting dog that you occasionally go shooting with, but for 330, 40 days of the year is at home with you, enjoying the family life. So do you mind if I tell you the story, how, how, how this new business yeah, yeah, started? Yeah, please do. It's the why that matters. <laughs> yeah, and for me, it's a very important story. It's not just about... I wanted to do this, do this. It's, um, it's the story behind it. So I had a young, a young chap, give me a ring a year or two, two years, probably two years ago. Now, a young guy had a cocker, young cocker called George was really struggling with name. it. He, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he left the London rat race, bought a house in the Cotswolds and bought a cocker to live the dream. He wanted to yeah. shoot with a cocker, get a cocker, go stalk and everything. When it all started to go horribly wrong. And eventually I got this phone call from this guy, look, the dog's running in, it's chasing, I can't do this, I can't do that, um, I'm not enjoying it, can I please have some help? So BGHQ, this young lad rocks up, sporting a pair of um, gold aviators, hair straight back, you know, the London type, you're, you're, I'm a country boy. You're a typical customer. I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking oh, okay, okay, we're going to be struggling here from the start. But what a lovely guy, came in. And he said to me straight away, right, I need to go in the pen. I need to get some game. And I said to him, listen, if you can't get your dog to sit in the kitchen and stay in the bed, you're definitely not ready to go in the pen. So that's how the relationship started. Um, and we ended up getting George completely ready for him in the shooting field. And they completed a whole shooting season together, sat on the peg, um, went in the pub with him after in the Cotswolds, just had the best season he's ever had. And during that year, I sent him lots of videos with editorials to help him. Um, and it just became, we became really good friends. And he was loving all the things that you know, I was helping him with. And then obviously I found out a bit more about him. And he's, his background is in um, technology startups. So he's real high tech into all this stuff that I don't really know about. So we had this idea. Um, and we come up with this new business plan. Um, do you know what, yeah, go on. Yeah, oh, yeah, I want to know. <laughs> I'm just going to pause a bit just to build it up. Okay, um, it's called. It's called, and for me, it's one of the first in the world done this way ever, and it's called the Gundog app. 
and I'm I'm so nervous. My my heart's pumping now. Just talking about it because it's something that we have been we're so passionate about. This is what this is so lovely to see because it's this bit here. It's the passion behind this that makes this exciting, and that's you know that will clearly come through just given the way you're talking about it so so you're launching an app and it clearly based on the videos and i can absolutely see the link now so go on yeah so how this the app is going to be is it's basically about as many videos as i've i've produced over the last year from a puppy right the way through to a champion dog if you require that every single video has got full editorial with it so i'm demonstrating dogs going right dogs going wrong i'm talking through all this all the simple stages of getting the dog for marking drills for hunting drills for retrieving drills for jumping drills for swimming drills everything you need but the uniqueness of this app is that it's not an online service it's not a dvd type thing it's an app in your pocket it's apple it's android you can have me with you 24 7 in your pocket in your hand you've got no reception that's fine. You download the videos for that training day. You're in the middle of Scotland, no reception, no Wi-Fi. You've got all my videos that you need and you've downloaded them ready to watch and talk through. And for me to see some, to, for a person to sit and watch someone do something and make mistakes and tell you how they put some right is, is the best learning tool you could ever have. And to have the, have the, that facility with you. Um, and one of the, one of the biggest things, I think for me that I've had from clients is I'll give you, I'll give you a couple of examples is um, a client finds someone like me or another dog trainer. They then get on with that dog trainer it works for the first couple of sessions. And then they've got to try and book time off to match that dog trainer. Now, if he's a good dog trainer, they can't get the time to match. And before you know it, you've gone three or four weeks without a lesson and your dog's starting to go down here and you're trying to ring this dog trainer. You're trying to get in contact with them. When I first started in dogs, I had this problem trying to source the best dog trainers to help me mm. back in all the decades ago. And I couldn't get in contact with them. We had no mobiles then, I suppose. But now they can't get in contact and they can't get a lesson. So it's really, really hard. And their dogs then start to sort of digress a little bit in training. The, 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 the biggest thing for me, and uh, which I've noticed, and I think with COVID at the moment is even more, is that most dog trainers would come to me or another dog trainer and have two lessons a month. So if they live within an hour, let's say, that's cost them about £100 a lesson, plus a day off work. Now that's 24 days off work that person has had and spent in excess of £2,400 on training fees. You know, And let's just say he's only had one lesson a month. It's still over £1,000 and 12 days off work. Now he's got no time left to have holidays with his wife and his family. He's now, he or she has got no time now to go on holiday with them and he's got no more time off work but most importantly they're doing all that training and now they can't even go shooting with a dog <laughs> so with the app they subscribe to the app they it saves them thousands of pounds a year no holidays away from their family they can train the dog with their family there and then with the phone with the app right in their hands and they can put that into practice in the field it's just for me it's just with all the experience I've had with my clients is a no brainer. It's just to me, the most incredible thing. And I've got massive passion for it. And my heart I, is- I love it. It just sounds fantastic. And there you go. I mean, look, saving you time and money on uh, and an app. I mean, what more could you want? Uh, well done. I mean, I'm so excited by this. Uh, as as you know, I'm, I'm on this, slowly starting this journey. Uh, and so I'm gonna be one of your loyal users giving this a good go, probably making all the mistakes in the book. But- uh, <laughs> But um, no, I'm I'm really excited for you, Ben, because I think you know your passion coming through for that is uh, it, you know it's going to be it's going to be a really exciting journey. Yeah, and it's, it's like thirty years of my life, like putting all in into all my training techniques to help people, and I, I think we do see in our and as our family, my wife and I, we see so many dogs per day, we see so many dogs ruined, and we see so many unhappy owners with a pretty poor relationship with their dogs, and it's so sad to see, mm. and. If this can help people, then that's what we're doing it for, to help people enjoy their dogs and enjoy shoot days and enjoy countryside walks with their family. Yeah. Where every, you buy a dog and it's for the next 10 to 15 years of your life. You know, it's not going to be kept in a kennel and not seen till September. That's not how it works. You know, the dog's with you all the time. So if this can help people have me there, make watching me make mistakes, 
watching me talk through those mistakes and how to put it right, um, for me, is an incredible learning tool. For so, Ben, I can already imagine that there's lots of people listening to this who are thinking, wow, that just sounds absolutely perfect. So I know that it's not quite ready yet, but have you got a sort of approximate launch date? We're hoping um, to be launching in March. Um, there's still a lot to do and some incredibly exciting things with it, with um, some experts, vet, vets helping us um, and doing some videos on there as well um, with gun dog related issues and etc. So there's so many things, but even when it launches, we have got so many incredible things planned for um, for the sort of off season with gun dogs. And also next season, as soon as the grouse season starts, we've got some awesome filming days on planned on grouse, on parch, on pheasant, on duck. Uh, we're literally going to go and put this everywhere and let everyone see what a gun dog is capable of doing. And every video, as I say, will have full editorial talking through every stage of what you need to do to achieve that goal. Um, and I just think that there's no, I've not seen anyone else do this mm. throughout the world um in this way so for me i just think it, it's great it's, it's groundbreaking for me so if you you've got the name for it gun gun dog app is the name so if people listen to this now yeah. let's say it's let's say it's launched what do they type into the app store is it is it confirmed yeah it, it should be ready for you to type in when you hear this go live um but it, it won't be it won't be up and live and running yeah but it will be it was the engine is started perfect and, That's all that and trust me it, it's purring away ready to launch that's brilliant. So, Ben, I've now I don't have a gun dog myself. I live in a little London flat. It's just not really practical. But this one uh, relates to my family's slightly. Uh, they they've got a thing about miniature dachshunds, and we've got they've got one called Percy, who is basically forced to come out on every shoot day we have at home, <laughs> and has shown zero interest, total disdain for the whole process. So the question is, can any breed be a gun dog? given the right training or are there some breeds that are just never going to, never going to do it? No, I think that most breeds, if they've got four legs and a tail can do most things. Really? It's just some do it better than others. You know, and I always look at this analogy when I look at 15 rugby players on a pitch, some are better at doing some things than others. And if you're good at doing something, stick to it. Let's not try and pick that retrieve 150 yards across that field. But, <laughs> But their their dog, really for me, is a companion on the day. Is someone he comes out, he or she potters around, says a load of guns, as a sausage here and there at Levens's, and just does his thing. To me, a dog like that is a companion dog, and it's a fun dog to have out on a shoot day. So I'm I'm really the one who sort of instigated this. I've always insisted that he has to have a purpose, but maybe his purpose is, as he seems to think, just being decorative. Well, he's a host. He's one of the hosts. <laughs> Okay. Oh he yeah, is. that's exactly what he is. Yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> We've got a guy on our shoot. Um, he thinks he's like a lieutenant colonel retired or something, but he's just literally just a chap down the road. But he does think he's he wears a cravat. Um, you know what I'm talking about. But, uh, and he's got another tackle when it comes out. And he just buggers off and it yips and barks, and I keep shouting to him to put it on the lead. But however much it annoys me, I'm glad it's there. Because it all adds to the fun and banter. Yeah, I've seen a little Datsun bring a partridge back yeah. through the stubble, uh, and yeah. it's just awesome. Like it, it will go and get one bird a drive, uh, and then just take about ten minutes to bring this bird back, just really slowly, just yeah. dragging and dragging. Well, yeah, I think the most Percy's ever done is lick a partridge. I think, and then <laughs> yeah, I'm not not bothered. Our Bavarian hound, she has set with me and retrieve, and our border terrier will in the training paddocks. I've not taken them shooting, but they do that. And so it just, our border terror runs out, picks a partridge, drags a present back, sits there, gives it to me. So there's a Bavarian hound. So yes, they can all do it. They can all do it. It just, they all do it in a different way and at a different level. So, I mean, considering this is the Gundog episode, there is, <laughs> there's one rather frustrating age old debate, uh, which gets asked, uh, we, we actually get quite a lot of complaints on this one. Uh, on guns on pegs uh, of people saying, oh, this particular shoot has got no idea how to handle the difference, you know, with, with pickers up and peg dogs and so on. Yeah. We want your take on this. Picking up during the drive, guns working their own dogs and the fallouts that can occur. What, what's, what's, the, what's the 
the strategy that each shoot needs to follow to make sure that this never is an issue? Well, if I give you my, I now I give you my the gun answer. Yeah. So I arrive at the shoot. If I've not already done it in email, which I would normally, when I book the shooting, yeah. that I have a dog, and I will be picking up with that dog during or after the drive. Yeah. Okay. Then when when I get to the shoot, I will remind the shoot captain or the host. Yeah. And then if someone stood behind me picking up, I would scream and shout at them and tell them to move and take the dog elsewhere. Only joking, but I would ask them politely. Okay. I remember going to a shoot this season and a big shoot, quite tall birds, and I was really looking forward to it. I had a couple of labs sat behind me and a great big rush field beneath me. And the other guns had no dogs whatsoever. And I had two picker uppers in the line, stood 150 yards behind me below the rush with a with a team of dogs. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no dogs to my left, there's none to the right. I've got a team of dogs, I'm shooting, and they're all stood behind me, the picker uppers. And they picked all my birds. I just couldn't <laughs> I was gobsmacked. I was completely gobsmacked. Anyway, I sorted it out after the next drive and it was all sorted. But apparently they just wanted to watch my dogs work. But they should have let my dogs have a retrieve. So you get situations like that which frustrate you. But that's by the by. But I think if you if you explain it first, it should work. Um if you're a picker upper then obviously you should have your rules and the shoot captain and the picker up should all know the rules. Yeah. And not to pick up during the drive, dogs running around, guns when they're trying to shoot and they've got loaders there. It can be dangerous. Put people off. It shouldn't be done. So yeah, I think there are there, there's etiquette that needs to be followed and but the each shoot has its own etiquette. And I think you need to obviously follow that when you go there. Yeah. But it's also worth just saying how you would like it done. Because for me would I go shooting without a dog? Would I spend a hundred pounds or two thousand pounds on a day shooting without a dog? No, I wouldn't. Mm. I wouldn't even contemplate going. And if you've got a dog, it's it's such an important part of it, isn't it? And you get towards the end of the drive, and then actually, in my experience, when uh, with family dogs in the past, uh, I, I'd almost sacrifice shooting, be able to shoot the last couple of birds, so that I could be ready to send the dog and work the dog before the pickers up have swept through and taken everything i'd almost yeah. sacrifice some of the shooting just for that enjoyment of that moment because the dog loves it so much it's just like you look forward to even as somebody without a dog i like to go and pick the birds that i can see and that i've marked myself so that i then know to say to the pickers up right i've picked the these five but i think there's a couple uh, there's another there's a hen bird over there and there's a partridge over there that i haven't been able to find did you find them or can you go and look from a picker upper's perspective, you really annoy us. <laughs> <laughs> right? You're best off going having some lemons as quick as you can. All right? And leave those bloody birds alone because they're ours. We're training our dogs and we're getting picked up. So go and have some lemons as George, as quick as possible. <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait to say that. Next time we're shooting with George, we're just after every drive, go and have some lemons as mate. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. I'll set us two or three birds get shot, and I think fantastic. I line my dog up to send it, drives over, and this bloke goes, All right, mate, I've got them. I'm like, Oh, thank you. Thank you for yeah, that. That's why I'm here, mate. Right. Yeah, Noted. I've driven three hours to get here to pick up, and you've just completely ruined my drive. Thank you. Point taken. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you, you can see where this issue comes from, can't you? It's And it's actually yeah. just because of the love, and you really want your dog to have an enjoyable time. And yeah, tricky. Even if your dog and you've paid for day shooting, your dog is skewered in the ground on its corkscrew, you let it off and it runs around and picks them up, That you are doing that because you enjoy it mm. and you should be allowed to do that because you've paid for the day. However bad the dog is, if you want to do it and you choose to do it, you've paid for the day, that's your prerogative. Can I summarise then? So from a pickers-up point of view, don't pick up during the drive unless it's a runner. George. Okay, <laughs> Uh, from a gun's point of view, obviously you're absolute prerogative. Your your birds to pick up after the drive. But if you don't have a dog, don't pick up. Is that what you're saying? Or you're saying just yeah. wait? What we no, just just just. I think you should walk away and leave them and tell the picker up a point to the birds and put the thumb up, which I always would do if I was picking up with a dog. I, if I was on a peg with a dog and I didn't want ten birds on open grass around me, yeah, which I would do with my dogs. I'd walk off, say the picker upper, there's 10 back there on the grass area. Okay, just right around by my, by my peg. 
or I've collected them and they're on the peg. That's fascinating. Yeah, so that's that's where that's my thinking about wanting to pick up what I can uh, as a gun because then I know that everything I've shot has been picked or that or what needs to be looked for. Um, you know that hole you're in at the moment is getting deeper and deeper. Stay in the hole, George. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but we're not listening to you. You've blown it already. No. So what you're saying is what you're saying is that I, yeah, I'm I'm very happy to, to to admit that I might have been doing the wrong thing, and and that actually what I'd be better off doing is going to the picker up and saying I shot seven. Knock yourself out. Yes. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have some lenses now. <laughs> but but this, this that's quite different to what I was expecting because walking off and leaving your birds is I, I hear so many guns going, oh, that bloke, you know, that bloke from the city hasn't got a Scooby-Doo what he's doing, you know, he shouldn't be shooting this, that and the other. And actually what you're saying is you should be leaving your birds, but the crucial point is that let the picker up know the number loosely where they are, certainly if there's any that have gone way back, then leave the lot. Yeah, 100%. So on, on, a, on a shoot on a short grass field yeah. and this bird landed directly around me, then I will just pick them up if they're right by me yeah. and I will just put them on the peg and leave them there on the peg. Okay. But if, if there's bird shot 20 yards behind me in rush and thick cover, mm. I like to pipe them down, but a good picker-upper, that will be the picker-upper zone. And he, should be count- he or she should be counting those birds into that zone. So if I'm on a zone and I see a zone between, uh, I'm on six to eight peg or yeah. five to eight peg, I know I've got 15 birds dead and four runners. So I know what I've got. And I'll and I all a gun or I always call to the gun. Any other birds I've got 10 down, that's about right, mate. Yeah, thank you. And he walks off. It's just communication, really. Well, that is it. Of course, <laughs> you walk through people, birds laying everywhere and just walking off. That that is wrong, but you need to communicate. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that that's the absolute key, isn't it? Is from the very beginning, yeah. it whether you're bringing a dog or not, it's all about the communication. I'm bringing my dog, okay. I'd like to do some picking up. I've got my dog here, mate. I'll pick the ones that I can and then I'll let you know that just have the conversation and i yeah, and i yeah. haven't got a dog and i'm off for 11s <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah okay so um the, the other question that i had for you that that came via my brother and his girlfriend is about their lovely cocker spaniel chip who's i think coming up for three and he's a fantastic little dog really lovely little dog but they have a question which is how do you stop a dog charging in after a runner, keeping in mind that he's been sent for them before, but now he just goes without being asked? I always answer these in a similar way. If he won't stop, he shouldn't be on the shoot. So if, you, if a runner's been shot, I point and I send. I should still be able to go, stop, leave, recall. And it's something that I practice quite a lot. So if I'm sending, so I send a, a bird's hit the floor and ran. Obviously, I, my my moral obligation for me as a dog trainer and a picker is to pick that bird as quickly and as effective as I can. So would I stop my dog? No, I'd send it straight out for it. But I should be practicing during the drive, after the, sorry, after the drive when I'm training. I, I'm still training, even though the drive is finished, I'm picking up, I still practice stopping my dogs, recalling them back from something. So I might see a bird 20, 30 yards away, 50, and the dog's seen it, I send it. I want a bit of stop at halfway call it back, send another dog. So I'm all, I'm always training when I'm picking up and I'm still doing my job that I'm getting paid to do, but I'm also training my dogs throughout. So for their dog, if they need to go and practice this, I bet you I would almost guarantee at home if they try to simulate this and your the wife went up and threw a bird and shot at it, and is it your brother you say um, sends his dog, can he stop it two or three times on the way to that bird? Probably not. So, so that's the sort of drill that, that they could use to to stop that problem. And and the stop whistle, my stop whistles in our training has always been taught as a positive. My dogs want to stop because the stop whistle means something positive is going to happen if you stop quickly. And if you recall back to me, I'm doing it for a reason that something good's going to happen. And that's what I mean about positive reinforcement. That your dog, your brother's dog knows if it stops, is in trouble. And if it stops, it won't get the bird. So I ain't going to stop. I'm having it. It's mine. Yeah. And that whistle blowing means nothing Yeah. at that time. That's very so they just need to go back to basics and just say, right, we got to practice. So one mistake people make is if I'm playing rugby on a Saturday, do I not train or work out or do anything Monday to Friday? The answer is no. I prepare all week for that Saturday match. So if I'm picking up on Saturday, 
I'm preparing my dogs Monday to Friday and even Saturday morning. I'm training my dogs in a specific way to work on their weaknesses throughout that week, ready to shoot on that shoot day. Well, I would guarantee you 99% of peg guys and peg rappers, they're at work in the morning when it's dark, come home when it's dark, and they don't train their dogs all week. And then they get really annoyed with them on a Saturday. Mm, makes sense. It does. So there you go, Jim, Georgia. There's your uh, there's your answer. Work Most on the answer, stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get training. Um, ben, the way we like to round these podcasts off uh, is is our our bit that we call Desert Island Shooting. Uh, now, we're going to give you a choice here because you can do what on earth you like. You don't even have to be shooting, given that you love, obviously, spending time with your dogs behind the line as well. One last day, where would it be? What would you do? Who would you have with you? Go on. For me, I would. Um, I want to be up in a pigeon tower, top of the trees. I'd have a massive team of loaders. <laughs> now I'm going I'm to need the team of loaders. I really am. Trust me, I need them. And I want to be positioned right behind Tom Payne's tower. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say that. That's two episodes in a row. It's like there's something on here. <laughs> this is a genuine first. This is the first time we've had guests trolling each other through the po- through the podcast. <laughs> that was that was for Tom. I'll give you my. I'm not going to take the Michael out of Marcus Jensen either because he's already had that. So I'm going to leave Marcus alone. So I've got Tom back. My perfect day, and I'll be dead honest now, would be on a family shoot, picking up with Fatty, my championship cocker, just her behind my father and sons that to me is the ultimate watching them shoot birds all the teaching dad's given them dad's given me i've given them and then to pick up with them with my sort of top dog that is the ultimate for me that sounds amazing and that's on that's on your family shoot that's wonderful yeah and you know what i love about that there's been more desert island shooting requests as it were that were actually possible than not possible uh and it shows that actually the pinnacle of shooting in a way can actually be achieved very easily uh, just by what very you said uh, and it's lovely yeah. to hear yeah what a wonderful way to round it off so um ben and i'm sure chris will agree with me thank you very much for joining us it's been a slightly different subject matter from the kind of things we've normally talked about on the podcast but i think it's been really interesting and really enjoyable ben thank you so much for joining us absolutely brilliant really loved it my pleasure enjoyed it so yeah as i said thanks very much to ben for joining us and thanks to everyone for listening once again before we go as usual a final reminder that you can get your hands on a pair of the very exclusive guns on pegs podcast shooting sock garters by sending us your shooting dilemmas to resolve letting us know where you've been listening and indeed if you've got an idea for a a collective noun for the uh, contributors to the podcast drop us an email pod at gunsonpegs.com and if we read it out in the next episode or if we choose your suggestion We'll send you some garters. Until the next episode, thanks very much for listening and goodbye. What a bloody gun pick those birds. Oh, I'm just going to send my dogs for them.